0: Good evening. This is Matt Heath joined as always by Pastor Glenn Davis and this is Two Guys Who Happen to be Pastors. A podcast where two men who just happen to be pastors here in the great state of Indiana talk about all the aspects that affect us beyond the pulpit. As always like I said we have Glenn with us tonight. Glenn how are we doing tonight?
1: Oh we're doing all right. I'd be a little careful a little slow about talking about the great state of Indiana. I don't know. I don't. I don't know about all that. This is where the Lord has called us. So I'll give you that, but uh, hmm, great's a strong word. Um, born and raised in, the, in this, uh, as, as you so quaintly put it, great state. Um, i married into a Purdue family. I don't know if anyone else out there has had the privilege, but um, you basically got two choices, Matt. You can either, uh, either lean into it. And put on your gear and take the pictures. Uh, you know, every Christmas card is Purdue, every picture is Purdue. Uh, hey, I got Lauren's niece has been in Purdue gear since since she was able to be in a picture. So, um, like, you can lean into it or or you can, you know, you can fight it. I love seeing those pictures of those real obstinate people. You know, you got the picture on the wall grandparents great-grandparents children everybody's in Purdue except that one spouse who's got their University of Indianapolis shirt on or whatever (laughs) and uh, I'm envious of those people I've (laughs) kind of had to lean into it Um, I went to Indiana Wesleyan and I went to Indiana Wesleyan before they even had a football team so not, not a whole lot of institutional pride going on there so I leaned into it and we bought season tickets for uh, the Daryl Hazel era and became boosters and members of the John Purdue Club and this illustrious stuff. And It got me 9 and 39 and into an argument with the university about parking. So, uh, I mean, I'm not telling you to avoid marrying into a Purdue family. I'm just telling you know what you're getting yourself into. Um, God bless them. They're good people. They They just... They, they think just a little highly of themselves, particularly when it comes to the sports arena, considering I don't know that that university's ever won anything outside of girls' basketball. So uh, I was actually at my in-law's house this past weekend, and I'd gone off in another room to grab something, and Purdue was on defense. And, and you hear the quintessential comment, From someone, and this is generally people who don't know football, but you hear it a lot in Purdue households. Um, they got a lot to say on offense. You know, we need to run the ball. We need to block that blitz. We need to keep two blockers in on the edge and keep that guy from getting inside. On defense, you typically hear what I heard on Saturday, which was, get him! (laughs) So... uh, so, you'll hear a lot on this podcast, uh, whether you want to or not, because i got to put it somewhere, about, um, you know, the, the, the life and times of a, uh, we'll call it forced Purdue fan. Um, I still stay up and watch USC, but they're currently four and three, so we're not doing a whole lot better <laughs> there either. Um, so, I... Tough being being a Purdue family, man. Tough being in a Purdue family. I mean, they're better this year. This is the best I've seen them since I I started becoming aware of it. Um, I did notice my wife knew a little bit more about football and a lot more about Purdue than I thought she did, despite the fact that, you know, she was attending there. She graduated from there. Heavens to Betsy. She knows all the chants. She loves all the chants, and – I guess I'll close down this this little diatribe with a thought that um, if you ever want to succeed and elevate yourself to a level that's elite, you might start by not chanting on every kickoff, touchdown, or otherwise that IU stinks. you got to get your attention off of them. I I know I'm catching flack for that already. Oh,
0: easy now. But
1: if we're only obsessed with IU, I don't... How we, we ought to make IU say things like that about us. I mean, it's it's not to say they don't or they do. It's just that if we're so obsessed with them, how, how are we ever going to beat Wisconsin? I mean, beating Wisconsin feels a lot like the Cubs winning a World Series in my lifetime. I I, I don't know. I, I It's getting kind of sketchy that we'll ever see them beat Wisconsin ever again. So, uh, those are my Purdue ponderings for the week. Um, I... Gold boilers, I guess. <laughs> so uh, we'll send it over to Matt for his hats off moment here.
0: I would like to stress for, wholeheartedly that both of us are uh, Purdue fans. I myself did not attend Purdue. I am one of those, friend, those people who I am a fan of them because I, in my youth, was a member of the 4-H and FFA programs. So it kind of came with the territory. Excuse me. And with the territory, and of course, when you're young and you're in in the Midwest or any school, any state really, you always pick like, are you going to be an IU fan? Are you going to be a Purdue fan? Notre Dame? I don't know anybody who's a Notre Dame fan, but
1: Notre
0: Dame fans don't live in Indiana. They they don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you, you, it's one of those you pick. Uh, well, Glenn and I, as you'll come to find out through this podcast, we're both fans of you know '90s, early 2000s, and even into the 80s of wrestling. And you always pick your favorite wrestler out of all of them, and you stick with them by and by. So I've always just kind of maintained that you know Purdue's pretty decent. Um, I actually had my aunt, uh, rest her soul, she actually graduated from IU, and every Christmas it was always an interesting. Because as we lead into our next segment, I wear a lot of ball caps. I wear a lot of hats. um, And typically a lot of them have the Purdue P on them, or they say Purdue or something like that. And it used to agitate the ever-living daylights out of her. But, you know, it was all fun. She used to give me grief when IU, for some unknown reason, beat Purdue. It didn't happen very often, I promise you that. So in today's Matt's hats off to you moment, we're gonna be talking. We're coming to you, coming to you with a news story that when I saw it, it literally took my breath away. So this was a news article I saw. You know how you always scroll through Facebook and you see these great articles about you know this man, um, this guy apparently. Did something, you know, he was really out there, really wild, things like that. And it typically revolves around the the state of Florida. I don't know what's in the drinking water down in Florida, but it is, it's something. I don't Uh, know what. I don't know if you want to know. I really don't know. Um, But this one here took me by surprise when I read it. Florida man kidnapped scientists to make his dog immortal now I don't know about you I grew up in a house where we had animals we had we, I re- was born on a farm raised on a farm still work on one and the same one and we always had dogs and cats and things like that and we always loved them we liked having them but it was never one of those you know when it came time for a spot to go we said bye I mean, I've never, I, I've never met anybody with a dedication to their animal like that, um, unless you want to count them, you know, the, the ladies that live in the cities and uh, carry their dog in their purse. They might be a little bit de- more dedicated than us than me, but this guy here, I mean, he's, I mean, like I say, my hat is off to this gentleman for his dedication to his pet. Now, my question is, what happened once he, I mean? Did he actually get the right scientist? Could you imagine if the guy got a geologist? Like, you know, just like, hey, come here, come here. Get in the van. Why? What and he pull, you know, just, you know, he pulls a pulls a weapon on him and said, I said, get in the van. He gets to his house and said, I want you to make this dog live another hundred and fifty years. Is he made of rocks? Is he is he has he got a geode in there? What are you talking about? Well, well, sir, I'm a, I'm a geologist. I'm not a... I wonder how many scientists this guy's gone through before he got to this point, you know?
1: I'll tell you what, he can make and grow some excellent corn.
0: He probably... Oh, hell, yeah. But at any rate, my hat is off to you, Florida man who kidnapped a scientist to make his dog immortal. Wherever you're at right now, my hat's off to you, sir. And now we're moving into our next point, um, which is pulpit to the person. This is kind of a moment where Glenn and I will talk about um, basically kind of trying to not really remove, not the stigma, that's not really the word I want to use, but kind of start to chip away at the veneer that a pastor is somebody that is, you know, uh, holier than thou they you know because we hear these stories all the time of people who are you know they they love going to church they love the people in the church but the pastor just you know he wouldn't come say hi to him or he's really condescending to him when he would talk to him so um this is just kind of a moment where we just kind of talk about things in our lives things that maybe people don't quite recognize about a pastor and uh, this week, I kind of thought, since it's our first podcast, um, I kind of thought that we would talk about the about how you and I became uh, friends, and then also as colleagues uh, later in this point. Um, uh, look, to give a little bit of background on me, um, I, like I said, I was born and raised on a farm, and I uh, <clears throat> always, you know, I never really pictured myself as a pastor or anything. I, I did public speaking. I've always been quite a speaker. Um, but now, as I got older and I got married and everything, I started to, you know, figure, had to try to figure out new ways to use my vocal talents. And kind of felt that God was tugging on my heart about a year and a half ago, two years ago. And uh, we've really just, you know, I just kind of, didn't know where to go with it, and um, I think it was you and I met for breakfast one morning. Um, typically, when Glenn and I meet, it usually revolves around a meal. We, turn, we took a lesson from Jesus' playbook, and if we gather together to chat, sit and chat about things, we're usually having a meal. So, But Glenn and I was were sitting and talking about uh, just random things, and I'd actually been asked to kind of fill in for the pastor at uh, the church we were attending, um, just as kind of a try-out kind of a thing. He was taking vacation and all this. And,
1: uh, Glenn, I guess I'll let you
0: kind of fill the void on that deal.
1: Well, to, to start off with, I, um, I'm i going to go back a little bit further before we go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I Actually, the first time I remember meeting Matthew was at Royal Family Camp. I about that. And... Um, I, that's been, you know, I did my second background check this year. So it's been five, six years ago now. (laughs) And uh, I remember uh, walking in, sitting down and I sat by Hal Van Dyne and uh, really got to talking with him, got to know him pretty well. And uh, we got to talk about trucking, trucking's in my blood and my grandfather, my father, several of my uncles, a couple of them even fugitive truckers. So we got that going for us um pirates if you will oh pirates my. of the road oh and uh, i got to talking to this fella and just thought to myself i said that's a guy i think i could hang out with and i said if he's down here for coffee in the morning i'm gonna sit by him and the next morning sure enough there he was mr heath having a cup of joe and i popped down next to him and introduced myself and there's was something about them, and generally, I, I, I like most people. I can find redeeming qualities, but there there's some people I'd just really get a kick out of, and uh, I've always been that way. I've got probably a dozen close friends, and I thought, well, I think this guy needs to be one of them. But uh, between busy schedules and you know things going crazy, pre-pandemic, you got auctions, you got all manner of things. I'm an educator and a pastor, so... I have zero free time, and uh, started seeing Matt more and more during the pandemic. We ran into each other at Tractor Supply, ran into each other at the post office, and I said, "Um, you know, how you been, how are things going, and he said, well, he had filled in at uh, Shirley Wilkinson and was feeling like he'd done a pretty good job. He was being the liturgist there, and I said, why don't you come over to Well, the branch, the wife and I are going to go down to uh, Terre Haute, which was one of the last places that really got overrun in the pandemic, and we went down there and hung around, visited some places, and Mr. Heath filled in for me, and I actually got to come to it before we left. Thought he did an admirable job, and I just said, you know, Mr. Heath, I think you might be cut out for... This ministry deal, I think, I think you need to take a serious shot at it. And um, he went back home to the farm, and I think the story took it took a hard turn there. So I'll pass it back to you on that one.
0: Well, this is always I'm always asked about how how did I how did I know that this actually was what I wanted to do, or how what was my I guess my sign, you know? And um, actually, what it came down to was. Um, I was asked if I wanted to be, I, like I said, I had filled in for Glenn that day, and when I came home, um, <clears throat> I had, uh, I raised cri- uh, cattle, Hereford cattle. For those of you who are listening out here, if you may be in agriculture or in the livestock industry, I'm a Hereford cattle guy. I am proud of it, and ha- we, our family has been for several years. And, uh, came home. And I kid you not, there was a brand new calf out on the on the ground. I didn't even know I was supposed to be having one. I usually try to keep fairly close record of it. and uh, This one here just really kind of threw me off guard. Well, um, the next time I was asked to preach, um, gosh darn it, it happened again. I had another calf, and it seemed like I was trying to be told something. I didn't know what, but I was trying to be told something. So, um, the more, so Glenn and I started meeting pretty much on a weekly basis there. Um, and we would sit and we would talk and kind of iron out a few things. At the time, I was starting to go through um, I was eventually, I originally was going to become a lay minister, a lay, minister or lay speaker. Uh, I was still trying to decide which one through uh, the United Methodist Church and kind of started to go through that process and, you know, got in contact with uh, the appropriate folks. And, um, you know, one thing kind of led to another, and um, I was actually, ended up getting a placement at a, a, a church uh, that wasn't too far from where we were living, and um, I had the opportunity to go in as an associate pastor. And uh, I'll kind of, I'll leave that that as it is right now if we want to go into it a little bit deeper in a week or so uh we will but uh I, I mean i ever since i've gone into ministry i have legitimately loved every aspect of it now glenn you've got a few more years on me than i do you've got 15 or 20 Ooh, or so Just a couple. Just yeah a couple shy of 20 <clears throat> professional. so and i'm closing in on about a year and a half um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm catching up. It's, it's going to take a little while, but I'm catching up, but, um, but, um, I have not regretted anything about it. I mean, have I had moments in it where I was going to pull my hair out and I have questioned why I was even decided to do it? Absolutely. But I don't think any pa- I don't know of any pastor really who probably hasn't had that moment in their, in their career. I mean Glenn have you have you ever experienced that?
1: No, oh, you're you're still just a pup on that. Till you've sat on a rooftop and thought about it. Thought about jumping. You're you're not you're not there yet. Um No, uh I mean Jeremiah was mocked and and suffered. I mean the young Jesus on a cross. Yeah, you're going to have you're going to have moments where you just think I oh, ought to burn this place down and lock us all in it. I mean, you yeah. don't do it. Yeah, I mean,
0: you've got that little voice, yeah.
1: The Lord comes to you and says, now, now, that's not showing my love, and I could not condone such behavior, and you snap out of it and realize the DS is coming to visit, and you got to put your game face on. <laughs> and... So, a CS, I don't want to get myself in trouble. It's mm. not a district superintendent anymore. It's conference superintendent. Oh, my, oh, yeah. Anybody out there listening to this who heard me say DS, don't tell on me. <laughs> i just no i get that all the time i i i must be an easy target because people all the time will say to me well you know it's actually and i'm like did you know i actually don't care <laughs> but i i don't know so um no i think i think you're good on there you're just a pup you'll but the longer you do it the more you see god's hand in your life and in, and in your mission and what you're doing you know we're We poke fun at it. It's a a lot like, you know, a first responder poking jokes at things or a doctor poking jokes at things. You know, you got to have fun with it. And you love your people, but but there are absolutely days you don't want to get up. You don't want to face it. And God gives you the grace. You know, I I hear that every once in a while in my ear audibly. I don't know where it comes from, whether God's saying it to me, whether it's just a voice in my head. But, you know, Glenn... They put me on a cross. And I'm like, yes, sir, I'm getting up. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep, one day at a time, I'd say, if you're struggling, one day at a time. I I relate, Um, you know, but there's always people rooting for you, no matter how much you believe to the contrary. There's always somebody rooting for you. I love you, Mom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Glenn, I mean, it. Uh, for me, I mean, what – It kind of let me believe that I was actually on the right path because, like I said, I won't go into great detail uh, on this episode, but um, the first serious uh, experience I had with ministry where I was literally in with both feet and was active in in it and everything um, was not exactly the greatest. I mean, we all have, I mean, I'm sure every pastor has a horror story of a placement or a church they had.
1: Or stories, my friend. stories.
0: Stories. Excuse me, but uh, you know, for for the most part, I mean, I I didn't really question all that much. I mean, I knew I was supposed to be doing it, but I I just really didn't feel like it was, and it took a lot of. I mean, I I was in constant prayer at that point, and uh, I ended up. <clears throat> I had reached a point on one day, and I lit. I stepped back, and I said, you know. God gave me this opportunity to to be a pastor. At some form, He's gonna give me another one. I mean, if I'm truly meant to be doing this, I sh- you know I ought to be pretty close. I would think. So it actually became. Um, I literally. I had my last Sunday. That following Monday, I get a message saying, you know. <clears throat> um, Hey, I understand. You know, I understand you got some free time right now. Um, there's a church uh, in a little town called Strawn, Indiana, that is looking for a new head pastor. There's a just retired, and I said, well, I'd be glad to sit and talk with you know the board or council, whatever you know whatever they have. And uh, I did, and um, that led to you know I think I've been. They hired me as the head pastor. And I've been there. Th- two months now, I think, three months as the full-time pastor, August is about, is when I hired, is when I, they hired me, but, uh, I'll be honest, Glenn, after I left that, I legitimately, that was the Sunday after Mother's Day, was my last Sunday, that, from there, that week on, until I got hired at Strawn, I think I was only out of the pulpit two weeks I literally started getting phone calls from other churches that their pastor was either going on vacation or having health issues, whatever, and uh, it's kind of funny how it all works out, but so. But in, in all of this, um, and this is kind of where, I guess this is kind of where the root of this podcast comes from, is Glenn and I, um, 90, I'd say 98% of the time, Glenn and I have a standing meeting every week, whether it's on Sunday or Tuesday or sometimes multiple week days of the week, it depends, um, but we uh, we sit and we talk and, you know, we talk about things in ministry, we th- talk about things, which is what, you know, kind of got me thinking and, you know, got him on board was, you know, just the aspects of what's going on, especially in today's, you know, kind of today's world with, you know, with ministry, with, Christianity as a faith I mean um, and again like I said I'm only a young guy in it so I'm still you know fairly uh, call me shiny I guess uh, I we got was
1: uh, like new electronics
0: I mean you know it's it's one of those things that I got a, got a little bit to learn yet but I mean I've I've been blessed to be able to learn quite a bit and you know we've talked about quite a bit quite a few aspects that have come around and Um, like I say, there's just, it's really been, um, and in that, in the course of that, um, as Glenn mentioned, I mean, we slowly became, you know, we became friendly with each other then became friends. And now I consider Glenn one of my, you know, one of my best and deepest and dearest friends. And there's not a thing on this earth I wouldn't do for him. And I, I would expect nothing less from him. And, um, so, you know, if if you hear us ribbing each other or joking with each other or whatever, it comes from a place of love.
1: I mean Sometimes.
0: Sometimes. Every now and again. Every now and again. But just uh, you know, if we ever start filming these, don't expect us to be holding hands and, you know, looking at each other deep in the eyes. I told you or, that, confidence. Well now hang on here. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> so you know, I mean we're we're it's two guys who happen to be the <laughs> ha. <master, so. laughs> No, don't, don't talk about... We're not going to talk about the other aspects. That's just for me
1: and you. So, well, you're, you're betraying the
0: confidence. Well, easy... Well, now, hang on, now. Hang on. we got to come up with content for this thing, now. Oh,
1: I don't think it's much of a stretch.
0: It's not really, no. it's. I'll tell you the truth. It's, it's gotten to a point that our wives even ask every once in a while, do, do you realize, like, if you guys go out to dinner or something, what it looks like? It's two guys yep. who are going out to dinner. I mean... The two guys happen to be
1: pastors. The two guys
0: happen to be pastors, yeah. So, you know, that's just... That's where, we're, that's where we're coming from. That's how we got to this point. And hopefully, if this takes off, you know, you guys will... Everybody will start to kind of get an idea about who we actually are and um, start to realize that even in your home church, the pastor that you have right now, whether you have issues with him or whatever you may look at him with a little bit of a different light you can approach him a little bit differently and ask him hey you know what do you think did you catch the 49ers game or did you did you see that the band green day is coming to town or whatever you know um, i mentioned green day cuz we'll at at some point we'll be talking about music selection and you'll probably be in for a little bit of a shock as far as what some pastors listen to but i'll leave that for another time so, as we move on from from the person to the pulpit, I would like to say that this episode is sponsored by no one, actually. If you're listening out there and you have the means, the money, or just, you know, have a little bit of inheritance you just want to throw away, send it our way. Tr- I trust you. We can probably find a good way to, you know, to spend it for you. My truck currently is in the shop. It You know, that could be paid for. Glenn's car legitimately has no engine in it right now, so, you know... They're, workin', they're working on they're
1: it. Working they're on working it. on it. They're
0: working on and they're working on my truck, too, so, you know, if, if you're so inclined, I'd be happy to talk to you. If not, well, then just enjoy the subtle tones that are coming into your earbuds right at this moment. So now we move on to our next one, which is random crap straight off the rack, and Glenn, I send it over to you because you've got a great one.
1: Oh, I I certainly do, and um, just to finish off that conversation for any anyone who might catch this, who who is a pastor who is struggling with their pastor with a church situation, you know, I was always told growing up because I grew up in a very very small church, a lot smaller than the one I serve now, but it's been around for you know 200 years, and I was always told if you want a better pastor, pray for the one you got. So. Um, remember your pastors are people too. And if you're struggling, never forget, uh, this thing, this one's never aggravated me. A lot of people have a lot of things to say that aggravate me to no end, but, um, this one doesn't, you know, hard times don't last hard. People do, you know, just just stick through it. Um, things change quickly at times, particularly in this social media day and age. And if you're tempted to give up, just remember why you started. Don't allow, you know, we're in the salvation business. You got to expect the devil's going to try to kick you every now and again. So on that note, we got uh, some straight off the rack news for you here. So do you remember, uh, Matt, those flashlights that uh, used to charge up? You'd just shake it and it had a battery inside and it would use. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Like inertia, or I'm not sure what it was using. It had using.
0: like a little weighted thing in it. You shook it up, kind of like a, a shake weight, but you actually saw results from it. You and know? you
1: turn your flashlight on, it always worked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I realized the other day, um, walking down into my basement, which is not something I do that often, it's usually either during a tornado, and uh, it's got to be close to the house. Because my basement's about three feet, got about three feet. It's more like a crawl space. It's a big area, but it's not very tall. And... Um, or I'm filling up the, uh, you know, softener salt, mm-hmm. which is what I think a lot of men um, handle. And, and walking down, I walk by uh, my wife's little uh, tornado shelter goodie bag, I call it. And uh, it's got flashlights, radios, uh, you know, stuff to hit me with if I'm being silly. <laughs> and... Uh, I looked up, saw two lanterns and this cheap little flashlight with D batteries in it. And I thought to myself, I wonder whatever happened. Because my dad bought like nine of those flashlights. So those flashlights just recharge, because it seems like that'd be something to have. And I don't have one. And I asked my dad and he didn't have one. My assumption is, is they all just work so well that that some guy who collects stuff like that's got a billion of those things the people who sold them made all the money they ever needed to make, figured everybody in the world had a flashlight that would never go bad, folded up and went out of business. And, you know, I need to look into it because I think I'd like to have one, you know, with the tack lights and you know all these <laughs> flashlights that'll give you radiation poisoning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's not a big place at the table for those poor rechargeable flashlights anymore. If anybody's got one, please let us know. You might be able to get make some money off of you us. I'd I mean, really like yeah. to have one. And, you know, I've, I've also been looking around the office. We're going to have to talk about some of this stuff because as I look around my office here, I do have some cool stuff in here. And um, I've been looking over here. I'm sitting next to a display case. It's got uh, five or six books in it. Um Got one from the fifties, one from the sixties. I think I got one from about every decade, going back to nineteen hundred. And really, I bought these. I did a school project in seminary where we were supposed to find like the oldest copy of a of a discipline of an agreement in a in a faith meeting that we could find. And I found out that Fowlerton United Methodist Church at one point was Methodist Protestant. Now, a lot of you may not know what that is. It was a small sect that broke off from Methodist Episcopal when the North and the South split over a little thing called the Civil War. So from 1860 to 1939, there existed this little offshoot that thought nobody was right called the (laughs) Methodist (laughs) Protestant Church. And Fowlerton was a part of that, and I actually have a discipline in this display case from 1904. Now, that sounds really old to some people, not so old to other people, but if you're keeping track at home, I believe that's 117 years old, this book. And it's not just a copy of the discipline. It's a copy of the discipline that was given to a guy who was the father of my neighbor oh my. growing up, Clinton Simons, and... He was the guy who lived next door to me. It's his dad. And there there are two Simonses. I have one from 1904, 1908, different guys. When they join the church, they get a copy of the discipline. So I'm trying to preserve the history of the Fowlerton United Methodist Church. And it's unfortunate with churches closing the way that they do. And and that's nothing new. Churches have been closing for Decades. You know, decades, yeah. hundreds mm-hmm. of years. And I just think it's neat to preserve the history. You know, a church exists because someone is passionate about something. So I'm I'm trying to be passionate with, with Fowlerton having some struggles right now about preserving our history because when I was a kid, what man, that church was on fire and active and had kids' ministries and mm. You know these sixty, seventy-year-old women with five hundred kids running around in the basement. <laughs> it felt like. So. Um, yeah, I I don't I would assume that a rechargeable flashlight would be safe to use to read one of these bad boys. I'm not gonna use a tack light uh,
0: no, on one of
1: them. You no. burn a hole right through it. Yeah. So, that's straight off the rack. You you got anything off the well, rack?
0: I was gonna say. I mean, uh, just just to your point. Um, not not to get keep serious or anything, because we would do. We don't necessarily want this to be you know, you know, hard nosed fire and brimstone kind of a thing. But
1: maybe
0: uh, you don't. Well, you don't. Or I don't. <laughs> well, you know. But it's it's one. Of, it is one of those things where it's um. You know, you think about it, and you you know, you mentioned churches closing. I mean, would you agree? I was thinking about this the other day. Would you agree that probably over the last let's say the last 30 years there's kind of been a steady dec- i mean it, it's been a more not gr- i mean a more aggressive decline as far as like church attendance and things like that and i
1: i would i would say that it it corresponds with the fact and there might be some people get upset with me about this but we're talking about america and and particularly indiana and small town indiana i think that it started about the time that we, as Americans and as citizens of the Hoosier State, just kind of lost our identity. And, you know, the Lions Club is struggling up for members, the American Legion is struggling up for members. Um, you know, you don't ever hear about the Know Nothings. I mean, all these groups that were so yeah. popular. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, I don't. I am not a Mason. I don't know how they're doing. But
0: well, I was gonna say. I mean, as
1: another interesting little tidbit about myself, I am
0: also a uh, Freemason. Um, which uh, I know that there's a thousand different theories about what a Freemason is or does. And if you don't know what a Freemason is, the easiest way that I can tell you uh, the e- the easiest introduction would be to <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. Go watch Nicolas Cage in a little movie called National Treasure. That's probably about the the softest introduction to Freemasonry that you can get. That's how I got introduced to it. Um, but I've been a, a Freemason for... I, did, I went in right after I got married in 2016. So about four or five years I've been a Mason now. Um, and I love every aspect of it. There's been several guys who have come through who were Masons, several prominent leaders in our world, uh, Winston Churchill, George Washington, um, Paul Revere, um, several United States presidents have been Freemasons, and uh, nine signers of the Declaration were, were Masons. And at one point in the 50s and 60s, we had some of the highest... It was what you did. I mean, you just you became a mason. If you worked at a factory, if you worked anywhere, you went into the lodge. And that was, but it it wasn't necessarily a requirement, but it allowed you to kind of be able to connect and communicate with people. And that's how now, if you go into a coffee shop or Burger King or whatever, and you see a group of guys sitting around a table that retired out of Chrysler, GM, Ford, whatever, these guys all were tied in And they're still friends with each other 50 years later. They worked at Chrysler for 40 years, 50 years. And they still meet up and have coffee with each other. That's not happening anymore. When you go into a job, it's just a job. You don't make friends anymore, unfortunately. You don't make that connection. You don't hang out with people outside of work. Now, granted... Me and Glenn kinda buck the trend a little bit because as he mentioned, he is an educator and I'm also a school bus driver. You'll come to find through this podcast, I'm an auctioneer, I'm a farmer, I'm a bus driver for our local school corporation, Eastern Hancock, I'm a pastor, and pretty much anything else that comes my way. I'm sure I forgot something. And
1: did you mention father?
0: I'm also a proud daddy and a loving husband. And no, I am not saying that because she is in this room right now.
1: Uh, I can tell you with tremendous certainty she is not in this room.
0: No, 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 no. But, uh, you know, but Glenn and I, I mean, we, we hang out after work. We talk about things that go on at work, but that doesn't happen anymore. You don't have people joining clubs and joining civic organizations. I mean, and a lot of people... You know, there used to be groups of men who would get together and have coffee with each other on Saturday mornings or get together before church and sit and talk and have coffee before service started. And we don't have that anymore. Now, unfortunately, as, and we won't, I hope we won't harp on it too much, but unfortunately, the last year and a half, COVID has kind of prevented that from happening to a great extent. But things are starting to kind of work back to it. It's opening th- things are opening back up. But people are still fearful. People are still scared of it. So
1: well and if you if you couple all of those things together and you look at the organization of the church regardless of denomination whatever it may be people just don't join organizations anymore. They don't go looking for extra things to do. You know, when your kid plays travel ball or you're constantly on the move or you have to work on the weekend, which all of this stuff is new coupled with the fact that the civic identity of America has changed so much. A lot of people aren't joining the church and, if a church doesn't give them a reason to, because, you know, back in the day, you missed two or three weeks of church, your boss would call you in, yeah. where you been? <laughs> you know, today, if you don't come to church for three or four weeks, hopefully somebody would notice. Mm-hmm. And without that draw of, well, you got to be a part of this, to be a part of this, to be a part of this, that's just not the case anymore people want to go to work they want to come home and it's really changed how the church needs to do business and how the church needs to reach out to people i tell people all the time that this is a common thread in my sermons if you've never heard me preach before is if they ain't here why should they be do you have any idea what you're competing with Oh, man. you're competing with travel ball cartoons, Xbox going out to breakfast or brunch on a Sunday when not a lot of people are out because all the people mm-hmm. who eat breakfast are at church
0: yeah
1: Not to mention good old-fashioned Americans sleeping in. Oh
0: man
1: and when you're competing against all of those things the church needs to be offering something to people to inspire them to get them out of bed to get them to want to come to church. You know, at Willow Branch, we we try to be missional. We try to have a lot of things going on for people to be a part of. Um, I actually work tremendously hard at being entertaining, and that's something that, that's not everybody's cup of tea. When somebody says, well, I'm going to check you out on Facebook, or we're going to come check you out on Sunday, I warn people. If you're looking for old-fashioned fire and brimstone or, Old-fashioned, well, Jehud begat Jehosh, and I'm, I'm not your guy. And, I mean, if you come to mind, I'm going to try to make you laugh. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to make you think. Now, let's not misunderstand it. I can hang in the Bible study arena. I have a master's degree in divinity, I've learned $100,000 words like hypoxlegomenon and Christology and epistemology and all these other things.
0: I won't ask you to spell them right now.
1: I could. I'm a a spelling champion now.
0: I'm proud of you for it. I I couldn't even begin to pronounce them, to be honest with you, but that's just me.
1: But, um, you know, we have to give people a reason and... You want to make them think. You want to make them laugh. You want to make them cry. You want to get them on fire for Jesus and to reach the world for Jesus. Because I got news for you. They ain't coming to us anymore. And I don't know when that's going to change. It may never change back to where people are going out of their way. But what I tell people is be encouraged by that. Because our churches are going to be filled with, or half filled with, or whatever the case may be, people who genuinely want to be there, who genuinely believe in what you're doing. Are they going to be full pews? No. Take a few out if it makes you feel better. But I can tell you, as a 20-year veteran of the ministry, every now and again, you might have people in your church that are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're just looking to come after somebody, and... You want a church, half full, let's say, of people who want to do amazing things, who want to change the world. Fifteen people who want to change the world are going to do a whole lot more than 500 who only want to come and go home and be done with it. So that's what I would say about, you know, the civic representation, the civic identity of America has really informed how our churches grow and how they don't grow. And I think a lot of people have missed that. So we're going to take a hard right here, folks, into a new topic. This is the farm report from the second worst farmer in the state. You know, Matt's got a serious problem with this fellow named Harry. Matt, what did Harry ever do to you?
0: Well, I'll be honest with you, Glenn. Harry knows what he did. And Harry, if you're listening here, I didn't forget. I promise you, it may have been 10 years ago, but by golly, I'm like an elephant. The old steel trap doesn't forget anything, by golly. Well, as I mentioned, I'm a farmer, and we try to cover a variety of topics in this, and this week we're going to, well, every week we'll be talking about different aspects. Here in Indiana, uh, last week, we actually had three and a half inches of rain over the course of two days, which... um, I don't think since Noah we've had anything like that. Maybe not. Maybe not quite to that you know apocalyptic level. But um, well, right now, as you may have noticed, uh, where you're listening at, um, if you live in like a rural area or anything, you may have noticed these great big machines rolling through. If you don't know what they are, they're called combines, and they are harvesting the grain, bringing it in, um, and selling it on the market, so that you're able to enjoy your, well take your pick if you're able to enjoy your breakfast cereal if you drove your car this morning anything like that um we are trying to make sure that we are feeding not only the people around us but a nation and even a world i mean a a good majority of the commodities that we grow here in in america you know corn soybeans uh wheat Excuse um you know, it's, it's one of those things that you you reach a point at certain times during the seasons when you really and truthfully, um, you know, things will happen. You never can predict the weather. You know, farmers are always at the mercy of two things. Breakdown, well, three things, really. Breakdowns, the checkbook, and the weather. Typically, breakdowns, if you're on top of it, Um, it will, you can kind of get through and get by. The problem is, the second thing, the checkbook, that can sometimes prevent the first thing from happening. And the third one, the weather, well, even though I work for a wonderful boss upstairs, um, doesn't necessarily mean that I get a free pass on the weather. Um, You know, but I still, I still give thanks um, for what I have been able to to harvest this year. We got our soybeans done, um, and I was lucky to get that. But, uh, but you know, it's one of those things that a lot of us around here, you know, a lot of us still don't have our corn out. A lot, you know, there's still a lot of soybeans out, which um, doesn't sound like a big deal, but to a farmer, if you haven't gotten your soybeans out before the beginning of November, typically you're in for a rough you're in for a rough go um and the livestock side of it as i mentioned i'm a cattleman and uh cattle markets are holding pretty steady right now they're actually up right now because there's there's uh, increased consumer demand for it which uh, we haven't seen for probably about five six years which really warms my heart and uh, a lot of guys i've talked to i was talking with a guy yesterday who stopped by the house and uh He's he's on fire for it. He's excited. He's got a lot to sell. I've got a lot to sell. So I I think that it <clears throat> I think as far as like um, where we're at right now, I think everything's pretty well kind of. Right now we're just kind of in limbo. Um, we were dad and I scouted a little bit of fields tonight, and. Uh, it looks like we might be able to run this week. I'll talk to a few guys uh, yesterday at Stockyards, which is where I work, um, as an auctioneer. And, uh, you know, a couple guys, they were going to try and shell corn probably Tuesday or Wednesday this week. So, uh, I hope so. Um, you know, there's, uh, of course, you know, everybody, it's either, if you listen to, to what it is on the radio or in the newspapers or anything, it's either feast or famine there's never a middle of the road thing. Well, I'm here to tell you right now, folks. You may be listening, you may not be caring about this. I'm going to tell you right now. Well, you're it's part of the podcast, part of the package. So, uh <laughs> but um you know, I I think I mean it's it's to a point now where I'm not we're not worried, but we're also kind of to a point like let's let's take another step here, boys. Let's get rolling here. So, Um, and all this, I, I, you know, the guy that stopped by the house, of course, uh, was not actually Harry. It was a a gentleman who kind of is in between a go between me and Harry. And, uh, you know, I'll leave it at that, you know, maybe one, maybe one week I will dive into the story of what Harry and I have disagreed on. You may think it's stupid. I do not. Actually, if you're a sane person, you probably would think it's stupid. I do not. So we will dive into that at a later point. But now we move in, speaking of uh, my father and I, we are moving into our next segment, which is what our wives have to look forward to. This is basically where we're going to talk about everything that we experience with our own dads and what our loving dear sweet mothers put up with for 20 30 40 years and the problem is glenn and i are pretty much exactly like our dads and i think any son is to a point but uh we as he and i have set and talk we've realized oh man i'm turning into my old man and it, it kind of makes you wonder a little bit. So, Glenn, you've got a really good story this
1: week. I'll I'll pass it back over to you, and we'll see what, uh... Well, thank you for that. I, uh, I'd like to think I act more like my mother, but I certainly look like my dad. I remember, um, uh, starting to lose my hair around 24, 25, and I, I looked in the mirror one day, and I, I saw my grandfather, and, uh. That was, a, that was an awakening. That was a three-day stare at a window. All right. And, uh, yeah, my, uh, my wife has a uh, set of notes in a notebook that uh, is going to be turned into a book eventually called Stuff My Father-In-Law Says. My dad, um, for as long as I can remember, has been certifiably insane. And he's not in an institution. No, he, he spends his days with my mother and my brother and I. And a lot of that rubbed off onto us, too. So I am turning into my dad. I don't hear much. He doesn't hear much. Um, we both yell at inanimate objects for things that it has no control over. And um, I had an experience recently, and I've got a million of these, but uh, I thought I'd start this. But telling one that, uh, I think it will give you a pretty good picture of what uh, Lauren's going to be dealing with here in about another 20, 30 years. Um, my dad is 34 years older than I am. I am a late in life baby. So we're getting to see a little bit of the crazy coming out a little, little uh, more rapid these days, we'll say. <laughs> so without further ado, uh, my father, at one point in the last two years, owned three mowers. A Zero Radius, um, I don't remember, a Honda, I don't remember what it was. Uh, I don't even know if Honda makes them over. (coughs) Uh, He had um, a Cub Cadet and a good old-fashioned John Deere. And the Zero Radius uh, blade deck broke. And in an effort to be uh, fiscally responsible, um, he used that to tow things. So, he didn't bother getting a fixed. He just kind of pulled trailers and things with it.
0: Oh, my. Are you serious?
1: <laughs> Dead serious. <laughs> um, the Cub Cadet went out, and he was having a guy work on it. And Dad called him one day and told him just keep it. And so, he's down to one mower. Oh, well, d- my dad's like that. He, he had a dog um, given to him about 15 years ago. And um, he started training the dog the dog couldn't get going on the paper and about two weeks after getting the dog a television repairman came to the house and said that's an awfully cute dog and that dog went home with that repairman so um he's not exactly committed (laughs) to things that don't want to work um and so my brother bless his heart um is renting this house and he hadn't been keeping up with the lawn because his mower broke down. Could have happened to anybody. And he was asking dad if he could borrow his mower. And dad said, Well, I'm down to one mower. No, you cannot borrow my mower. And every time he'd have this conversation with him, I'd see wheels turning. Because my brother is, is adopted. We are not biologically related, mm-hmm. but trust me, he is 100% Davis. <laughs> and, um,.
0: Product
1: of his environment, we might say. He he got the Davis side a lot more than I did. (laughs) Um, That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. You'd have to ask him. Um, But I'd see the wheels turning. I know when my dad's thinking. And I was sitting at the house, and this goes off into several tangents that I don't want to get into today, so I'm going to try to keep it as Mm -hmm. on path as I can. Um, Basically, Dad said... How long do you need the mower for? My brother said, Look, I don't want to get into this with you again. He said I couldn't borrow the mower. It's fine. I'll find some way, other way. And my dad says, Well, are you going to get kicked out of the place if you don't mow it? And he was like, Maybe. I, I don't really. We'll find out, I guess. I don't know. And I'm looking at him because I know what he's thinking now. I'm not going to let you into that arena quite yet
0: oh, come on, now.
1: so he looks over at him and he goes well, how are you going to haul it and he looks at him and he goes I don't know you said I couldn't borrow it what are we talking about <laughs> and dad said well do you have a way to haul it and now he's starting to get mad my brother says uh, yeah I just put it in the back of the truck we are going to go off on one tiny little tangent here Um, my dad looks at my brother and says, well, that's a really stupid way to haul something to which I laughed very hard. And for quite a long time, to the point where my mother, who was doing laundry in the other room, walked around the corner and said, Glenn, all right. (laughs) And dad said, what on earth was that all about? And I said, you're kidding, right? About Three and a half, four years ago, my father drove his Chevy Cruze. If you don't know what a Chevy Cruze is, it's a two-door, unless you ask nicely, and then they'll put a four-door on it for you. Red Chevrolet compact vehicle. We took it to California. It fit in compact parking spots. This is not a big vehicle. And my father said he was going to go over to Lowe's or, or... home depot i don't remember which one it it could have been harbor freight tractor supply pick a store he drove up to the front and said i want to look at rotor tillers because my father tried to rotor tiller a garden in february and apparently he has aged out of reading the farmer's almanac and didn't realize that the soil is still frozen in february And his rotor tiller blew apart while he was rotor tillering. But I will tell you, American made product, that engine still ran after blowing (laughs) out of that rotor tiller to the point where he had to take the spark plugs out to get it to stop. That's a good old fashioned American made product. That's right. So he pulls up and he says, I want to look at rotor tillers. And the guy on duty said, oh, we got a hot one here. So he took him back right to the road of tellers. Dad said, all right, I want this one. He says, all right, we'll put it up for you. He goes, nope, just run it out there. I'll get a... And my mother looks at him and says, let's go home and get the focus. My mother has a Ford Focus station wagon. Let's go home, and get the focus. We'll come back. You wouldn't listen to me. I told you we were going to buy today because we all know dad. He's a man who knows what he wants. He wants a rotor her now. <laughs> he's going to get gas on the way home. He's going to fill her up and he's going to do it. So dad says, nah, I got it. And he walks up to the cash register with this huge pretzel box full of bungee cords.
0: Oh, no.
1: My mom says, what on earth are you going to do? And dad says, well, I'm going to get that rotor tiller home. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. He tried to shove it in the trunk. Oh, no. No, 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 no. He bungee corded that to the top of his trunk through the back window and hauled that thing from Marion to halfway to Muncie to Fowlerton, Indiana. Fortunately, didn't fall off on the highway. So he's got this bungee corded to the back of his Chevy Cruze. <laughs> Didn't try to put it in the trunk. It's on top of the trunk. <laughs> they get it home, and Dad says, Well, hold on a second. I'm going to pull this bungee cord, and we'll get it off. And Mom said, Well, it doesn't look super steady. Are, are you sure? And Dad says, What? And here comes the bungee cord around. Rotor Taylor falls off and hits her foot. Oh. She's screaming, hollering, and dad walks around, takes the rotor tiller out. My mother is dragging her foot up to the porch, gets up, looks at her foot. She's got ice on it. And dad comes walking back and goes, What happened to you? Didn't even notice. My mother goes, Oh, your uh, finagling of the uh, rotor tiller there might have just cost me my foot. And dad said, you know, sometimes you're just a prima donna.
0: <laughs> oh, no.
1: and uh, I think she's letting back in the house, but oh. I'm, I don't, I don't know for sure. So back to the main story here. I'm laughing at my dad for calling my brother an idiot about hauling this tr- tractor. In the back of his truck. Because my father bungee corded a rotor <laughs> to the back of his Chevy Cruze. And he has the audacity <laughs> to tell somebody that's a stupid way to haul something. <laughs> so I look at him and I'm like, well, what are you suggesting? <laughs> like, now I'm defending my brother, which I never do. And I'm like, what exactly are you wanting him to do here? Because it sounds like you want to give him the mower, but then it sounds like you don't. And so, three days later, my dad calls me, and he says, uh, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run down there and, uh, and help you put that belt back on uh, your blade deck. And I said, well, you don't have to make a trip down here. He said, well, I'm already halfway down there. I just got to your brother's house, and now I'm back in the car with your mom. I said, wait, what? That's a, there sounds like a, there's a story there. You're now in the car? What were you doing? My father drove that mower from Fowlerton, Indiana to Summitville, Indiana. Parked it in my brother's front yard. Filled it up with gas. Then got in the car with my mother and drove down to my house to fix a mower blade. (laughs) So, I told Lauren this. She's afraid. Uh, That's just one in, in a million stories. Um, you'll hear how he interacts with his, gr- his granddaughter, my baby, my niece, Madison. You'll hear how he interacts with me, how he interacts with Lauren. And I'm not going to judge that harshly because I know I'm on deck <laughs> and I know the apple didn't fall far from the tree. So, um, yep. Tune in next week to find out, um, how, uh, my dad can be rather obstinate, when he's asked to be careful about something. And that runs in a long line of Davis history.
0: Ooh.
1: So stay tuned for those. Um, so we're going to move into uh, probably my least favorite segment on this podcast. Um, How's the kids? So as a minister with 20 years of experience, I can tell you with uh, tremendous tremendous clarity that not having children in the ministry is one of the great mistakes that I have made up to this point in my life and um, I have cats and uh, I remember when I came to willow Branch I sent a letter out before I came that picture me and Lauren and our and our pets we had a we had a little pup at the time and two middle-aged cats who are now getting getting older and uh, I remember when we arrived, um, a fellow by the name of Jim Cherry here uh, made sure to comment, well, we were real excited because y'all were young, and then we found out you just had cats. Oh. So, it's, it's been a real pleasure. They are my babies, though. Mm-hmm. I, took, uh, I took Cleo, who was 10. She's a tortie. She's a feline, and took her into the vet, and Cleo always gets looks because she has incredible coloring, She's a white, orange, brown, black, and just the way her face is colored and her her paws are colored. She gets a lot of ooze and a lot. She's a beautiful cat. Well, I took her to the vet, and this vet was the oldest vet I have ever seen. He was at least twenty years older than any other vet <laughs> I'd ever seen. He's seen some stuff. All right, I wouldn't be shocked if he'd operated on Harry Truman's horse, okay? Oh, man. So at wonderful vet by the way tremendous and uh, he said well just pull her because i kept her in the bag because cleo don't like anybody the only person in fact we've ever seen that she actually kind of likes outside of me is matt which is interesting and um so i just kind of pull her out of the bag he goes nope you gotta pull her all the way up i gotta put an injection in her and i said Oh, I'm sorry, man. This is my baby. I hate manhandling. He goes, Well, that's all right. So he grabs her with his left hand, scruffs her, pulls her out of the bag, fills that syringe with one hand. He goes, So how old is she? Is she a 2011 model? He uses his two fingers, his index finger and his middle finger, pops that empty, you know, mix of chemicals that he's got. Shoots her up with it and said she'll feel better in about an hour and a half. Shoved her back in and zipped it shut. And I said, "I'm I'm sorry." He goes, "Nah, I get it all the time. Been doing this a while, no issue." <laughs> so, um, on that note, I would like to ask Mr. Heath, who's been blessed with a uh, baby girl who is adorable. Um, How's kids?
0: Well, I'll tell you, um, and we I guess we should have noticed or mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, the series premiere of this is actually taking place on Halloween. As you can see, I'm wearing my Halloween shirt. Glenn is a wonderful festive orange. Glenn is wearing a, well, it, the, the shirt says, I just hope both teams had fun, and that's a good mantra to have, especially working in education. Doesn't do very well when March Madness comes around, but, you know
1: high school football sectionals. That, I mean, I'm a Broncos fan. I'm kind of a forced Purdue fan if you don't have a sense of humor.
0: You you know you'd you, be really really yeah.
1: sad.
0: <laughs> that I'll tell you this folks. This is a man who knows what defeat is and he embraces it on a weekly basis right now especially being a Broncos
1: fan. The important thing is everyone
0: had fun <laughs> Well it also helps when you're getting paid a couple million dollars you know a season to do the game too. About
1: 20 million dollars a win
0: at this point. Well, nothing wrong with that though but uh, no uh, my daughter she is two, little Lorraine. Uh, she's named after my mother. Uh, my mother's middle name was Lorraine. Um, <clears throat> but uh, she's good. Uh, like I said, this week is Halloween, so uh, of course we had to do the traditional Halloween stuff. Um, but my wife and I, we've been not really ridiculed, but you know, I've had other parents say, "Come on, man, you're showing us up." We have always, my wife and I have always done couples costumes before we had children. It's what we always did, and uh, so we've been everything we've been a sheriff and a flapper girl things like that um i'll say this on the sheriff and flapper girl i do not look good in a fringe dress i'll I'll just say that right now
1: i honestly i thought you should have been flattered
0: well, you know, I just, I don't have the legs for it, you know. I just, I don't have the legs.
1: You're a harsh critic. Well, you know. A harsh
0: critic. I mean, it, the, luckily, the, no photographs survived from that year, so I, I kept that's my luckies well. that, that I know, well, <laughs> there could be a great big blackmail scheme getting ready to come around my way, and you know what? Bring it on. I'll, I'll answer for it. Not very well, but I will answer for it.
1: Just send you one piece at a
0: time. <laughs> <laughs> that's a leg, and that's it. That's a fairly hairy leg and that's a fairly hairy hand
1: four or five pieces in for yeah out what it is like, like, oh, is that, that?
0: <laughs> is that fringe um, but uh, you know this year we were I we asked Lorraine she's like I said she's two and a half with the mentality of like a 48 year old woman um you know just just really doesn't put up with a whole lot that doesn't go her way and when it does she's happy and when it doesn't she lets you know. She said she wanted to be Batman this year. So we went to the, the Spirit Halloween store thing, and we're walking through, and we found a Batman costume, the traditional Christian Bale Batman. And I'm thinking, I don't know. This is kind of, you know, I don't, I don't want to, like, you know, say no, but on the other hand, you know, can we kind of figure something out? We literally turned the corner and... There's a whole nother row, and they had a pink Batgirl costume. So, as you can assume, that went into the cart. And uh, so we're walking through, and my wife and I are trying to figure out, well, what are we gonna be, you know? Because we we're fun, of course. You know, we're not. We're kind of knocking on the door of thirty next year, which um,
1: just a pup.
0: I'm just a pup. I admit that, but you know what I. I liked my 20s. I'll be glad when I'm in my 30s, I guess. But uh, I enjoyed my 20s. But uh, So my wife decided she was going to be Poison Ivy this year. Um, and I had decided for a man-villain, I had the Joker, which has been done 101 different ways. I could have been the Riddler, which I don't look good in green. I could have been Mr. Freeze, and I didn't really feel like welding up a suit. And then the other one was, was the penguin. could have been bane, but again, I'm not that you know muscular. Um, so I dress, I went as the penguin. top hat, cigarette holder, you know, white face paint that looked gray or black around the eyes and everything. We looked slick. And for Halloween, there we have a, it's basically three days for us. So on the first night, um, we had a costume contest, which is when Christy and I dress up, and Lorraine dressed up in her costume first time, and uh, we we won our we won our cost we won our categories. Uh, for those of you who are in 4-H, we won our class, but we did not. I did not win the grand drive, um, you know. But uh, it that was fun. Then last night, I uh, went over to my church and helped uh, the sweet ladies out there pass out candy, and my daughter went trick-or-treating uh, with my wife. <clears throat> she didn't dress up again, darn it. Um, I didn't either, so I can't really complain. And then this morning, we wake up. Uh, on Sundays, I usually um, I wake up really early and kind of finalize my, my sermon and everything, uh, make sure everything's good, print it out, what have you. And I went in, and I start to uh, said, all right, you guys ready to get up? And my wife rolled over, and she'd actually been diagnosed with a uh, with strep throat this week on Thursday. and uh, Or Friday, excuse me. And uh, she said, I don't think we're going to church this week. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I still feel like garbage. And your daughter sounds like um, she's been smacking or smacking or smoking a pack a day for, you know, oh. ten years. And she did sound, um, her voice was kind of starting to go and getting really, you know, scratchy and everything. Um, so, unfortunately, they didn't actually get to go trick-or-treating on Halloween. But they still, she still got to go and get a bunch of candy. I, um... I treated it like it was tax time. The IRS came very hard on her bag last night. Um, and in my on my desk are several discarded carcass wrappers of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and Mini Snickers. So, but the uh, Lorraine is great. Um, you know, there's not a day goes by that I am not floored by what this little girl says, does. Um, she's in the she's kind of in the midst of potty training. We're kind of working on that. And, and she started that. She started, she would, she would follow my wife into the bathroom. And in our master ba- bathroom next to our, our bedroom, uh, we've got a tub with like a little ledge on it for a step. And Lorraine would sit there while mommy went to the bathroom. And, um, she kind of got an idea of that's what she needed to do. And, uh, Eventually, she said, I gotta go potty. Okay. And we were kind of taken aback. Like, what do you mean? All right, you're on a diaper. I mean, she's like, okay, let's go. And she went in, and from there on, she has been really, really good. Um, Dry diapers at night. I can't really complain. Um, Which there are some kids that I have heard that are darn near getting ready to go to kindergarten and still aren't potty trained. So, The quicker we get this done, the better. So, <clears throat> well, as we, as we mentioned, we, uh, we mentioned crap straight off the rack earlier, but now we're going to talk about the, th- the way that you find out about these products, the way that you find out about this merchandise. And now we come to a segment called commercials that tick Glenn off. A moment where we truly find out just how short Glenn's fuse is about things that, to you and me, may not necessarily carry a lot of water, but yet, for some reason, they stick with him and bother him on a daily basis. Glenn, what do you have for us this week?
1: Well, as noted there, um, I am an extremely harsh critic of commercials, mostly because I think there's an art to making commercials. And I think the art to making commercials is making them as believable as possible. You will hear this a lot. You will eventually hear our takes on modern, old-fashioned wrestling. I am a wrestling guy. I'm also a theater guy. I did a lot of shows. I've got some friends in the biz, as I used to live in the Los Angeles area, and, uh, I'm a very, very harsh critic of commercials, I found, and it's not going away, so I just lean into it. Uh, Recently, this commercial's been on, I think, probably a good year, year and a half now. It's been on for a while. Uh, The Discover Card Company has taken to making commercials where they field a phone call on their HR line or their complaint line or whatever the case is. Uh, I've never called a company... To complain about them giving me money before. Mm -hmm. And these Discover commercials people call in and they're astonished to find that they have received rewards on their card and in the form of cash and prizes that they can spend whatever or however they want. Again, if somebody has given me free money, I'm not always in a you know real urgency kind of mood. To call and say hey you want your money back mm-hmm. like i would no. be more than happy to take that from you and so the one that's on my nerves i've got to admit is this gal calls up discover card and this other gal answers and she says now is this right because you gave me this much money back and the lady says oh yeah we give you two percent back or whatever on everything you buy now it's like you don't you can just buy anything and the lady starts to shake in and dancing, and she says, oh, it's hard to contain yourself, isn't it? And she's like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And she's starting to shake and scream, and she says, well, let it out. And she starts screaming whatever around her office, and people are looking. And I've got to tell you, Matt, I put myself in that commercial, and I would have thrown a phone at her. <laughs> not not a cell phone. Yeah. One of those old-fashioned, on-the-wall-at-the-Lions Club dial-tone oh. phones. And told her to uh, to hush. I'm busy. Not to mention that the gal on the other end is yelling with her at Discover and says, Oh, you all knew that. You all work here. Both of them would be fired. (laughs) Both of them would would be going home very upset and hopefully clinging to the fact that they got 2% back on whatever it is that they bought because I've had it. (laughs) On what planet? I'm telling you right now, I've been a pastor at four different churches over the last 20 years. If someone is in the kitchen screaming at the top of their lungs, I will get up from my desk, walk through the hallway, through the women's restroom, which connects to the kitchen, and go, what are you yelling about? It's not something I enjoy when people are just screaming for no reason. Now, if you've got a reason, like I found some solid gold bricks under the sink... I'll scream with you. That's fine. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't like commercials that don't make any sense. I don't know what planet someone would be permitted to have that kind of reaction to getting 2% back on the eggs that you purchased to make your pancakes with that new recipe you found on Pinterest that didn't work. So... Maybe it's the grump in me, like I told you, I am becoming my father. Maybe it's the old-fashioned wrestling fan in me, where I hear Jim Cornette going, Why can't we have believable stories? (laughs) I want to see two grown men get in a fight. I don't want to hear about how, you know, y'all are playing video games, and he won by four touchdowns playing Madden, so now you have to wrestle. (laughs) Just make the commercials make sense. I've... Uh, this is gonna be almost a therapy session for me going forward,
0: <laughs>
1: because between Charmin and probiotics, and I'm just there are some things I don't need to see on television, and trying to make it make sense. I don't think that's I don't think it's that hard.
0: I, I, don't disagree. I don't disagree with you, Glenn, at all. I mean, do you remember the Folgers commercials from like the late '90s, early 2000s? And they had the little jingle, best part of waking up. I oh, there was one that was about a she was about or a, an Irish step dancer, and she was brewing a pot of coffee and everything and practicing in the kitchen and all this. But I mean, that's believable. The woman's getting ready to go to work. There was another one that apparently has uh, some negative connotation, but um, it's one where this young girl. It's around the holidays or it's in the winter. And uh, she is getting up, she's living with her parents, and she's getting up putting a pot, a pot of coffee on. and um, her brother, I guess, comes through the door and put a he has a Christmas bow on his shirt and says, "Hey, I you know brought your Christmas gift to you, and they're celebrating and all this. Parents come down, they're excited to see him because apparently he wasn't expected. I agree with you. That is way more believable than... 2% on a $2 purchase is two cents, my friends. Two cents. I've never known anybody who's gotten excited about two cents. Well, maybe us, because during this, you're getting our two cents, a penny apiece.
1: Correct. So, and, you know, you gotta, you got to think to yourself, if you're going to make a commercial funny, let's make it funny. Mm-hmm. The commercial now, I don't know what they're pushing, and maybe that's part of the problem. But there's a commercial now where they're like, "Yeah, it's great living here, but there's an animal in the attic," mm-hmm. and it's that Sesame Street dude pounding on the drums. Hilarious! I laugh every time I see it. The one where they're like, "Well, it's a great building, but we have to deal with clogs, and the cloggers live upstairs." Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's great!
0: Isn't there one where there's like a, there's like a bagpipes or something like that? We've got bag po- or we've got um, a rattle in the pipes or something like that. It's mm-hmm. him, yeah.
1: I'm just saying we could all try a little harder. I mean, if you're going to make it funny, make it funny. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make it believable, make it believable. If you can do neither, maybe you need a new <laughs> I real, uh, I understand it would probably be hard to fill two minutes of TV time no matter what you were doing.
0: Sure, yeah. I don't blame you.
1: But if you're paying someone the amount of money that I know people in that business are getting paid, they can come up with a better script than I get my money! Shut up!
0: Well, you also have to keep... You also kind of have to keep in mind, too, they're not just making these commercials for um, consumer or to be consumed on TV anymore. Anytime you open up YouTube, Facebook, you watch a video on there, whatever... um, you're going to deal with an ad. And so now they've created the ads to where they're multi-platform. So, but, there again, that is not going to prevent us from discussing it and from Glenn from getting mad. So now we move on to our next section, which is words and passages a liturgist should never read. As a former liturgist, I can honestly say... This is one that carries a little bit of weight
1: with me, and Glenn as well. Glenn, what do you have for us this week? One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is Exodus 33. If you're not familiar, um, the people of Israel have made a golden calf, um, essentially breaking the second commandment, which is to have no graven images. And a graven image is basically you're trying to make an image of God. And the Israelites do so as Moses is walking down the mountain. Moses throws the tablets on, they say on the ground. I imagine he tried to throw them at Griff or, or whoever was closest to him. Probably Harry. Harry, Harry, Harry would there. be a good candidate.
0: Harry was there, I promise you.
1: And so he walks back up the mountain and intercedes for the people and God says, well, you know what? You go on to the promised land. I'm going to send an angel with you, but I'm not going. And Moses says, oh, if you're not going, well, neither am I. I'm going to sit right here with you. It's a beautiful moment yes. where Moses acknowledges that without the presence of God, they're nothing. And it actually starts out. It's actually a really fun passages. It says, you know, they're walking into the promised land. It says to your descendants, I will give this. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out. And this is where it gets tricky. I left this once on vacation for a liturgist of mine, and he really let me know he didn't appreciate it. But you can forget when you know the idea behind a passage, and you've been doing this for a while, that sometimes they like to add things in the Old Testament that don't necessarily apply to anything we would think about today, but were super important then. So it says, I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Beresite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. For those of you who are fans of biblical history and biblical geography, the Jebusite inhabited what is now Jerusalem. Jerusalem was called Jebus. That is a $100,000 lesson brought to you by United Theological Seminary. (laughs) So go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) When the people heard this sad word, they went into mourning. (laughs) Imagine that. And uh, the Lord said to Moses, tell them that they are an obstinate people. Should I go in your midst? I would probably destroy you. Therefore, put off your ornaments, and I may know what I shall do with you. I'm not sure yet. So they just all kind of sat there. And it's this beautiful moment where Moses goes up, intercedes for them, says, we're not going without you. You're our God. We're sticking with you. No matter what, we'll just sit here in the wilderness. It's fine. And it's a beautiful moment, except when your liturgist has to work through the Amorite, the Parasite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. There's a million of those. A lot of them are in the Old Testament. I have... I have learned Hebrew. I'm polite in Hebrew. I won't say I'm fluent. I can read Hebrew fluently. I cannot speak it fluently. It's very different from romantic languages. It's kind of a struggle to speak it. I can also read Greek. I can read a little bit of Latin. So, I don't give enough credence to the fact that someone may not necessarily understand how to pronounce Moses' dad's name or Samson's dad's name or... Jehoash Begat Judiah, you know, or whoever. (laughs) And I actually had a project I did when I was at seminary in Azusa, my first year of seminary in my master's program, where I actually did an entire independent project on Hebrew pronunciation, accent marks, vowels, things that actually don't exist in original Hebrew, but can help you learn how to pronounce it. So I tell people now, I preached on... um, Ruth a couple weeks ago and of course there's Elimelech Machlan and Ilion. and Greg Troy came up to me a good friend of ours and said uh, hey I didn't hear you talk about Malin." and I said well that's because there ain't no Malin." and he said uh, what for real and so I think it might have been his dad or an uncle actually had the middle name mm-hmm. Malin. yeah and I said, well, Greg, that's a chait in Hebrew. That is a machlon. Not even machlon. Like, it can't sound cool. It's machlon. Uh, the Hebrew chait, the guttural. Not a lot of credence goes to the gutturals these days. But uh, so, admittedly, it's one of my faults. And it's the reason at Willow Branch I read a lot of my own passages. I can forget that not everyone is a Hebrew scholar, that not everyone. <laughs> is a Greek scholar. Uh, By the way, if anyone out there listening to us is a Greek or Hebrew or Latin student, I would be happy to tutor you for a nominal fee or a jaunty tune. So, we're going to pass it back to uh, Mr. Heath here. Uh, We're going to open up a segment here called I Don't Understand This. Um, We both work in education, as previously mentioned. There's a lot of stuff that goes on amongst teenagers that neither of us understand, and frankly, it scares us. And Matt is going to share some stuff that is really bothering him right now.
0: Well, you know, Glenn, I've only been out of high school. We just celebrated our 10-year class reunion. 2011's when... Still you know, a pup, man. I know. Still hey, hey. if you haven't caught on, I mean, I, I may act like I am an old man, and sometimes I act like an old man. I mean... I still enjoy, as Glenn mentioned, I drink a lot of coffee, but I do not drink the frou fru Starbucks. You know, a good pot, you know, good pot of black coffee. You don't drink it if I'm feeling a little, you know, froggy. I'll, I'll grind some eggshells up and put them in there to kind of settle it down a little, the old cowboy style. But
1: you know, I recently uh, didn't go to my fifth or eighteenth or something in so. Can't relate. Yeah, (laughs) but
0: um, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, you go back, and in in the course of this, I, I, my wife and I planned this through some mixed up way. But excuse me, Uh, we both. I was looking through the the fashion, the mentality. It kind of took me right back to where I was in May of twenty eleven when I graduated, and. um, I, I, you got to me thinking about what was popular, what was cool, what was you know, the mentality that we had. And the fact of the matter is, um, there's just a lot of stuff that's changed. The big, one of the big things that is bothering me right now is the reintroduction of the mullet. Now, I know during quarantine and everything, there was a big big push... Quarantine haircuts, gonna let it grow out into a mullet, whatever. Okay, that that's fine, because you weren't gonna be seeing people. But the problem is, I'm I'm on TikTok. If uh, you know, I'm on that uh, interesting app, uh, as well as a lot of other people. My wife, but here's not to get on a tangent, but my wife on Facebook will watch these. They call them Facebook Reels it is literally tiktok videos that have been uploaded to facebook and she will sit there and scroll through them what's the difference and she refuses to download tiktok what's the difference i digress but i recently this last this past week was actually the national ffa convention in indianapolis um, and it brought back you know seeing these videos there's a lot of of course It learns what you like watching, so it shows me a lot of, like, ag stuff, farm stuff, whatever. And, of course, it shows me a lot of, like, FFA teachers, ag advisors and stuff. And it was showing me all these, the sea of corduroy blue jackets. And there was a lot of guys in there that had mullets. I remember when I was in FFA, if you didn't have your hair gelled and looking sharp, if you didn't have your your slacks pressed and looking nice, you, and it even got to a point, a lot of guys didn't want you to wear black cowboy boots. You had to wear the black shoes, the lace-up shoes, which that was the only time I ever wore them was when I wore, it's called official dress. But now I see these kids walking through and they're wearing their hair like this. And maybe it's just because yes, I've only been out of school 10 years, but in that 10 years, so much has changed. I mean, when I was in school, Facebook, you had to get on a computer, which is a stationary thing at that point, and get on there and upload whatever. The only way you could update your status, I remember, you. do you remember this? When you update your Facebook status, you had to send a text message.
1: I well, wasn't on Facebook. You yeah.
0: weren't on Facebook then. I... I didn't get on
1: Facebook till about two thousand seven. Oh well, that's what I was on though. Um. I remember when uh, I remember when Facebook would ask you how you were doing. T. Glenn is doing fine, and now you get your memories, and it's like... oh,
0: it's so painful. T.
1: Glenn Davis is mowing the lawn, and I'm like, why? <laughs> First of all, who cares? Yeah. You know, but anyway.
0: It, 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 but, you know, I mean, but like I say, a lot has changed. I mean, I can remember the only people that had iPhones were teachers. And they were the teachers whose husbands or wives worked at, like, Eli Lilly or a big, you know, big company.
1: Nice plug.
0: Yeah, well, you know.
1: My wife works at Lilly, for those of you out there in podcasting. If
0: you, Lauren, if you happen to be listening to this, I am... Wholeheartedly advertising for Eli Lilly, not a sponsor yet.
1: Yeah.
0: So hopefully we maybe we've got an in on that. I don't know. I doubt it,
1: but anyway.
0: But anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, but a lot of that has changed. Now we have, you know, you've always used to hear the term instant gratification, and that usually was like when you would send an email and somebody'd get it back, and somebody'd send you one back. Now. You can literally order anything or look at anything on your phone and, you know, if you want to look up who played the janitor on Scrubs or whatever, you couldn't remember his name, you can look that up literally within 10 seconds and know who it was. And I, so, I I can appreciate all that, but on on the flip side of the coin, guys, if you're listening to this, I don't understand the mullet. It faded out in the 90s, all right? There's a reason why we left it in the 90s. Not even all the 90s. Like, 94, I think, was probably the last recorded case of a mullet being seen in the wild.
1: It was working its way out in 1991. So there's an amazing picture in a yearbook that I am fully prepared to share where my brother has a jerry curl slash mullet in the yearbook, 6th grade picture. That's it's pain. Impressive. That, that's that, impressive.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm slightly uh, impressed by that. But I, I don't get the mullet. I, there's a lot of things that teens are doing now. And I'll, I'll leave it at the mullet with that. I've got plenty more that I do not understand. Things that um, I don't understand infuriate me slightly. But you know what? I, I will. I'll take it. You know, I'll, I'll take it as it is. I guess. Um, just uh, don't expect me to. Uh, don't expect me to go along with it. So, um, moving on to our next segment. It is in other news at Another, e- another news at Eastern Hancock. As I mentioned, both of uh, Glenn and I. We've mentioned several times in this. We both work at Eastern Hancock. Glenn, what have you got for us out there? You work in the building. I I just haul them in there. What do you got for us?
1: Well, I wanted to make sure that we took some time each time we did this podcast and acknowledged that other things go on at Eastern Hancock besides football, basketball, and softball. Those Those are the big ones. Props. To the coaches and the players on those teams, particularly girls softball, which has been quite dominant the last few years. Uh, But I wanted to talk about other things that go on in the building that the average um, member of the community here in Eastern Hancock may not be aware of. So I want to start with telling you that I work in every grade, from kindergarten, well, I guess I can say preschool now, yeah. mm-hmm. all the way up to um, to seniors and postgraduate work. I'd, I've i been asked why I don't work in adjunct and uh, you know colleges and things, and honestly, it's because subbing in elementary school pays more. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, I've benefited from the fact that not a lot of people want to do that work, and since I do, it pays well. So, um, you can work five or six days a week as a sub. I'll go ahead and plug for the school here. You can make five, six hundred bucks, I mean, every two weeks. It's not a bad deal. And this week, this past week, I had a moment that stopped me on a dime. I mean, it, it really warmed my heart. Um, there's a phenomenon that occurs, particularly in the elementary school, where children at the age of six, five and six years old in kindergarten, are working on computers now. iPads, computers, whichever your school district has. Eastern, it's a computer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And a lot of times it will do things they don't understand, they don't know how to process, and their poor little brains and hearts just cannot take the fact that that program might have updated or reset and erased everything that they were doing. Mm-hmm. And that's a hardcore come-to-reality moment when no matter how hard, how many times you push that undo button, it's gone. So there was a young gal. I was subbing in the third grade. And bless her heart, she had had been working on a project. And she was trying to pull it up on her computer. And she said, well, I think I turned this in already. And I said, okay, well, let's pause here for a second. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I am not your teacher and do you think because I don't know do you think that if you come in Monday it was a Friday and your teacher has not gotten this from you and you tell her I don't think I'm giving away who the teacher is it's it's all ladies except Eck and Christ so, uh, would she be okay with you not having that done she said, no. And I said, well, you have a choice to make then. You can roll the dice. Or, darling, you're going to have to do it over. Mm-hmm. And she she had her moment. She looked out the window. Brian Adams played in the background. <laughs> Look into my eyes, you know. So, um, she sat down. And she retyped that whole project. Wow. And she turned it in. Mm. And I said, that was a very grown-up choice you made. And I want you to know that I respect that. I'm going to put in the note that your teacher needs to reward you for that decision you made. Very good job. And we had a great day, and we got to the end. And I wrote on this little, we have behavior cards, you know, made a great decision today, should be proud you know, don't want to give any more away than that. And um, as we were leaving, one of the uh, male students, and I don't know how much you know about uh, third grade males, but after seven hours, they're ready to explode. Mm-hmm. One of them grabbed a hold of another one and pulled on his backpack. His backpack fell off and landed on that same little girl's foot. Oh. And... I don't think she meant to get him in the face, but she swatted him right across the mouth. <laughs> and I thought for a second, you know, she did such a good job today. <laughs> yeah. And she's getting ready to get on the bus. I don't care that she popped him. No. <laughs> I, looked, I looked the other way. So I said, I grabbed the young fellow and I said, What'd you learn? He said, sorry, Mr. Davis. (laughs) It's okay. Just get on the bus. We'll pretend it never happened. So just know that aside from athletic events, FFA, there's some wonderful stuff that goes on at Eastern Hancock every day that really deserves more attention than it gets. Um, As much as we love our Eastern Hancock, you know, faces that we have, the faces of the school, which a lot of that is athletics, there's some wonderful things that go on there every day. Mm-hmm. So, you'll get a lot of those from me. So, um, that one warmed my heart. So, we're going to talk now. We're getting, we're kind of wrapping up here. We're going to talk about uh, what's on the docket or what's in our pocket. According to how many pockets you have, I see that Mr. Heath has a, a pocket square on his shirt. I do not. So.
0: It's style, Glenn. you got to be stylish now.
1: So, what's something that you're working on for the coming weeks?
0: So, with today being Halloween, um, you know you kind of start looking down at the downhill slope to probably one of the biggest seasons that we have. You know we have uh, we have Christmas, the Christmas season, Advent, and then we also have Easter. You know those are two of our kind of our biggies, I guess. Um, And uh, so as I'm looking for looking. You know, starting to plan and everything. Um, the next week, this next week, I'm actually working on. It was a script. It was a sermon I was originally going to give today, but it was one of those. Every time I would sit down to try and write it, I just I would draw a blank. Like something was legitimately stopping me in my mind about writing it. And you know, look and finding the scriptures, I just kept drawing a blank, and uh, you know. I just eventually got to a point. Um, my wife had said I gave a sermon. Uh, excuse me. Um, well, I had given a sermon um, about a, a little over a year ago, and it involved Mister Rogers, and it worked uh, worked with that uh, tie-in. And uh, I would said, you know what? I, I think I'm. I'm gonna, I need, I need to kind of fill this week. And um, I had, I'll be honest, I had not had an opportunity to send the information in for the bulletin for this week. So I um, dug it out earlier in the week, started going through it, kind of freshening it up, changing a few odds and ends, adding things, and uh, made it really look like it would, it would work good. And uh, that was kind of be kind of a nice little, kind of a nice little thing for my for my wife, you know, um, and for the people in the congregation as well, because it is a message that needs to be sh- uh, shared. Um, and then of course my wife ends up uh, not coming. So what do you what do you do? <laughs> um, but uh, this coming week, I'm actually. It was it's funny because as soon as I left there, it's like a switch flipped. And I, on the drive home, I'm thinking of all these scriptures that I'm thinking, you know, I'm coming up with, and I remember these stories and parables (coughs) and things, and uh, this week, this coming week, I'll be preaching on uh, (coughs) sanctuary, finding that, you know, finding that space in our lives that we can truly kind of step back, step away from everything that's going on and just truly be one-on-one on one with God and may it may not necessarily be in a uh, may not necessarily be in the church sanctuary maybe that's in the truck you know in the cab of the truck maybe that's in the cab of a combine maybe it's you know um, in the gym or whatever um, so that's what I'm, I'm going to be working on this week that's kind of in my pocket as it were um, Glenn what have you got on the docket this week? <laughs>
1: Well, we had a, a scathing sermon this morning delivered um, about the the idea of who, who we are, mm-hmm. why we are, is what I called the message, why we are. The idea that we're supposed to be the radicals, the rebels as Christians, looking out for the people no one else is looking out for. Looking out for people who are lost, the, the one who got away from the 99. And what does that really mean? And we cannot be that if we're known as bad tippers, judgmental. We're like everything we're not supposed to be right now. So this week I'm piggybacking on that with a passage from Isaiah. It's in chapter 25 of Isaiah where the prophet in the Old Testament, and look, you can believe what you want about biblical history, but Isaiah was canonized by the Essenes, who were the people who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. We know that the book of Isaiah is at least 300 years older than Jesus. It's a lot older than that. Mm-hmm. But in this chapter, in these short verses, Isaiah talks about <laughs> lifting the veil. People from all nations and races being a part of, of the kingdom of God, and the the Lord preparing the newest and best wines, the aged wines, the good stuff for his guests. And the idea being that you are not guaranteed a spot at that table mm-hmm. just because of who you are or who you were born as. You are guaranteed a seat at that table by how obedient you are to the Lord and what he's asking us to do. And it fits in, and I love passages that do this, because we hear so often about, well, but the Bible contradicts itself. Really? Where? Well, I've heard that. Well, this passage, Jesus performs a miracle at the wedding at Cana, where he turns water into wine. Been to the spot where that was celebrated by the Byzantines, which is pretty much probably the spot where it happened. And the story is that Jesus turned the water into the best wine these people had ever had. And in the ancient world, it's a lot different than today. In the ancient world, you gave them the good stuff first. Mm-hmm. Because once they're hammered, they don't
0: care, they don't care what you give <laughs> <No>. <laughs> them.
1: So the wedding at Cana, the, the head of the party says, well, you save the best for last. The idea being that Jesus took such care in performing this miracle and getting them more wine, he gave them the best he could. And in Isaiah 25, it says, well, this is the best stuff. This is aged perfectly. This is from the best of the vine. We are his treasured guests. And it also talks about Revelation 21, which even a layman would know is the passage where it talks about wiping the tears from their eyes and there being no more death and a new heaven and a new earth. And this passage from Isaiah pretty much goes word for word, meaning this passage in Isaiah is like a linchpin of our Christian faith dating back to Judaism, where you can look at this and say, wow, this passage, this chapter was sacred to Jesus to John of Patmos the apostle John the last person living who saw Jesus alive incredible stuff and really calling to account what should that mean to us do we take scripture seriously because Jesus did John did these were their scriptures why isn't it more important to us? And if Jesus took such care to make us treasured guests, we're, now, we're doing communion and All Saints Day next week. It's kind of a big week. You know, the idea being that Jesus is the one that makes us treasured guests. So how do we see that guest list? How are we informing people about this guest list? Is it exclusive well, because in the Gospels, Jesus tells a parable about going out and trying to get everyone he invited. Nobody would come, so he just took whoever off the street. Maybe we need to adopt that attitude. So I'm giving the whole sermon away,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but that's what I've got in my okay, pocket. Right. Check, in, check in for more. There's some more twists and turns. But also, um, with Bible study, I do our Bible study on Facebook because more people can get access to it. Rather than having five or six folks come to the church and, and I've I've started putting it online, letting people tune in and we've got around forty five fifty people that check it out pretty regularly. Um, I actually just recorded our Christmas. Oh my we call it Wednesday Wanderings, and I can record about eight weeks in advance. So we were talking about Luke two and how the great Emperor Augustus, Octavian, the nephew of Julius Caesar, was the emperor. Quirinius, a very famous governor of Syria, Herod the Great, was the king of Judea. These were man's, man's men. Built empires. Created law codes. Created civic society. Built buildings that still stand today. And the point of the story that starts in Luke 2 is... In that time, with these men, Jesus was born, and he was the greatest amongst them. So, pretty powerful stuff. So, <coughs> Matt, you got any closing thoughts as we as we wrap it up here, and then I think I'm going to take us home this week. All right, that'll work. No, I mean,
0: you know, it when you decide to do something like this where. You know it, um, because like like we've mentioned, you know, a few times tonight, you know, information. I mean, you can legitimately get any information out there that you want, and as we again, as we mentioned, um, not a lot of people are, are seeking out, um, they're not seeking out the the fundamental stuff, the things that we are called to as people, as a as the body of Christ. We're not, you know, we're not tuning in and trying to search for, um, <clears throat> you know, whatever on a, on a Wednesday. There's actually a, a really interesting t- st- uh, statistic um, that was put out a few years ago. Or actually, it was, it was within the last year. It was a Google, um, did a Google poll on it. And uh, they said over in the pandemic that... Um, the, there was 48% of the Google searches that morning were, on Sunday mornings, were online um, online church services. And I have a sneaky, and I, I kind of have a feeling that in that time, I was, of course, I was just fresh into ministry. I really hadn't been placed anywhere or anything. But I, I knew I had the calling, and I knew I wanted to pursue it and i saw all these elements come forward and i saw people on facebook sharing church services they had found from you know wherever and it really warmed my heart and it led me to believe that okay maybe there's you know there's an avenue for everybody who has a true you know passion a true light from god to proclaim his message you don't you just don't see that anymore you don't you don't see people searching that anymore you know, and my hope is that with this podcast, you, the listeners, will be able to um, not only understand who your pastor is, kind of get a, a fresh idea for him. you know, laugh at our, you know, somewhat, I don't want to say idiocy, but our uh, interesting takes on things, our, um, you know, our musings, things like that. But also maybe that you'll find a, a way to reconnect with um, with your Creator. Um, again, I don't I don't want to get too heavy here on the end or anything. But my hope, my thought, my closing thought for this is: we've talked about a lot of stuff tonight, and uh, most of it good. Some of it, you know, harsh realities. And
1: um, I apologize for nothing.
0: That's what my next point is. <laughs> That's just it. Unfortunately, we're to a point where it's like a little kid who keeps doing the same thing over and over again. And, it you know, he keeps breaking a rule. first time, you say, Johnny, quit doing that. You don't need to be doing that. Second time, you pull Johnny aside and said, why are you doing this? Third, fourth, fifth time, it starts to build. And, you know, the animosity starts to grow until finally you're to a point and said, you know what, Johnny, you keep doing this, I'm going to see you exactly where you don't want to be in two to three years. And I think we need that right now. I think we need that kind of... Um, we need that kind of uh, voice coming, whether it's from me and Glenn's dulcet tones or from anywhere else. Um, I encourage you, even if this is the only episode that you listen to of this, I encourage every single one of you to stand back and take a harsh look at, you know, what are you, li- you know, are you listening to, to you know, uh, Seether or anything on the, on the radio all the time? Or do you flip on a, uh, a Newsboy song? Do you flip on Caleb every once in a while? When was the last time you prayed to God? When was the last time you cracked open that Bible that's sitting dusty on your shelf? You know, my hope is that this will, may, while you may not necessarily agree with everything that we've said or anything, everything that is going on in the church as a whole or as Christianity as a whole, you know, you, we just ask that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Give it another chance. Look for another opportunity to come back to Him. And I sincerely hope that you find that opportunity in this. And uh, Glenn, I, I believe you're, you're going to close us out. Every week we're going to close this out with a word of prayer. Um, and if you have found time to listen to us jabber on for I don't know how long we've been going now, but uh, if you can find time to listen to this, we're going to go ahead and monopolize just a little bit more of that time. And we're going to close out with this. And just, when we get to this point, I just invite you to, wherever you're at, whether you're mowing the yard listening to this, you're in the car, you're in the office, whatever, just kind of stop what you're doing, take a deep breath, and just, just kind of be in the moment. Find, as I'm preaching on this week... Find, make your sanctuary where you're at. And Glenn, if you would,
1: go ahead and... Yeah, we'll finish up here with just a short word of prayer. Um, I tell my youth group every time we pray that uh, they have to pray, and if you want, I give them an out. Thank you, Jesus, as a prayer. Um, we've all got something to be thankful for, whether it's just the air that we breathe, the relative peace we wake up into, um, the fact that that tomb is still empty. I've been to three or four different sites they claim to be the tomb of Christ there in Jerusalem, and good news is he's not in any of them. So that's the upside. But before we do that, I just want to jump on piggyback, if you will, something that uh, that Matt said. Um, it is important to know, for a number of reasons, that your pastor is a human being. Uh, not every pastor is going to cut it up like we do. Um, Not every pastor is the same. Um, I am shockingly, and and people in my church still don't believe this, an introvert. Not a big fan of boisterousness or people who are really overwhelming, um, situations that are really overwhelming. Um, And I'm pretty easygoing, pretty quiet pretty fun. Not every pastor is like that, but you must know whether your pastor wants you to or not, that, that your pastor is human. And it's important to know that because you don't need to be led astray. You don't need to be convinced that that person is somehow holier than thou, or that person somehow is more important to God. They're not. We're all equally important to Jesus Christ. Or he wouldn't have went on the cross. He didn't go on the cross and say, this is for everyone except that jerk Matt Heath. I can't stand him. Not for him. You know, He didn't do that. It's for everybody, including the guys that nailed him up there. So wherever you may be, however you may be listening to us, just know we are human. We acknowledge it. And we would invite you to acknowledge that your pastor is human as well. And to remember that Jesus Christ is the only one that can save you. So if you've been hurt by the church, good. We have to. <laughs> it's, we, we can hold hands and sing kumbaya. Or for the introverts out there, we can sing kumbaya on Zoom in our own houses. Whatever the case may be. Um, so remember, that's humanity trying to worship Jesus. My Jesus died for me, lives for me. And there's plenty of evidence of the people he spoke with in his lifetime that we know of that is recorded that would inform us that he loves us more than we could ever imagine. So remember that. And I'm going to close out with this prayer. It's it's from the book of Numbers, which you may have not read before. I don't blame you. <laughs> um, <laughs> If it makes it any better, I believe the Hebrew name for that book is Devarim in the desert. So, uh, I think Devarim in the desert. I just said I was a Hebrew scholar in this, and now I'm You're struggling. You're asking
0: the wrong fellow, bud. I'll look
1: that up and double-check it, but I know it's Devarim, Come whatever that case what may be. Yeah. Sayings in the desert. I'm pretty sure Numbers is in the desert. So, um... We hope you've enjoyed this and I'm going to repeat a passage. I believe it's Numbers 24, it 6. Said the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance to you and give you peace. And I pray that peace on you in Jesus' name. And we'll close every week with good night to Lindy and Kessie, my Goddaughters who live on the West Coast. And good morning, Vladivostok, where it is eleven AM in Russia. Have a good night, everybody.
0: Folks, we thank you for joining us tonight. Again, we hope to help we hope to have you back every single week. We're gonna be coming at you with everything. I mean, we may talk about off the wall stuff. It's exciting. I'm a we're fired up about it. This entire week I have legitimately spent every night working on this. So, um, we look forward to having you guys. Hopefully, you know, you uh, we get a pretty good following from this. And, you know, if you have things that you want a viewpoint on, if you have things that you want to find out about or whatever, or t- have our take on, not necessarily just in ministry, maybe viewpoints that for some reason you want to have from us, well, we'll kind of figure it out, I guess, as we go. So at that point, folks, we thank you for joining us tonight. And we hope and truly hope and pray that you have a blessed week and we hope that you find that opportunity to be as Christ calls us. Thank you very much for joining us. And this has been Two Guys Who Happen to be Pastors. Enjoy, everybody.